0: fastgrowingtrees.com code POOL offer is valid for a limited time terms and conditions may apply today is May 24th, 2022 and our first story, Democrats have won a major legal victory granting them the right to disqualify Republicans who have engaged in insurrection, a federal appellate court ruled, yeah If someone engages in rebellion or insurrection, they can be barred from holding office. Democrats are now making moves against every Republican who voted against certifying the results of the election, pushing us closer towards civil war. And even some, like Robert Reich, say it's already happening. In our next story, Governor Abbott of Texas will send hundreds of buses of illegal immigrants to Washington, D.C. And our last segment, Netflix is under fire by woke activists after Ricky Gervais mocked trans people in his latest comedy special. But Netflix just fired a bunch of their diversity staff, so I think Netflix realized get woke go broke and they're reversing course. If you like this show, give us a good review, leave us 5 stars and share the show with your friends now. Let's get into that first story. Democrats have won a federal legal battle, granting them the right to disqualify people they believe engaged in insurrection against this country. In breaking news from Kyle Cheney, a federal appeals court has ruled that the 14th Amendment's bar on insurrectionists holding office may be applied to current and future political candidates. My friends, we are inching ever closer towards civil war. And I've been saying this for some time. We have an article from Robert Reich, Democrat guy, very prominent, albeit I think he's wrong. But he writes an article about how we're already in a second civil war. I don't completely disagree with him, but I think it's fair to break down what that really means. Now, I've said before, I think we're in it. I think we're in a civil war, fourth and fifth generational warfare, information warfare, manipulation tactics. But let's slow down. Let's say civil war means kinetic warfare. In which case, we're not there. There's strife, as Stephen Marsh puts it, meaning people are being killed for political reasons. But we're not at the point where people are, you know, forming state militias and governments to go against other states or the federal government. But I I do believe we will eventually find ourselves in this position. Why? Well, there are many similarities between what's happening now and what happened in 1860 with the first civil war. Let me lay it down for you. Democrats are trying to disqualify Madison Cawthorn, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, basically 147 Republicans they're trying to bar. This is a legal battle for them, but it doesn't mean anyone is being disqualified. Madison Cawthorn, who is a subject of this lawsuit, has already lost his primary, but they're not stopping there. They're saying, you know what? No, we don't care if he lost his primary. We're going to prevent him from being able to ever run for office again simply because he spoke At a public rally that was permitted, that's their argument. Now, maybe they'll lose. Maybe they will. I think it's likely they will. But what if they get a judge who's a Democrat who says, "Nah, that was all insurrection? What if they argue if you voted not to certify the election results, that was insurrection? It's an interpretation a judge could make. And then what? Populist Republicans are just going to start being barred from holding office. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert being good examples. Then what? Right now, turnout in the first 10 state primaries among Republicans was 60.9% shattering records. The latest news out of Georgia, voter turnout through the roof, even though the Democrats keep screaming that they were attempting to engage in voter suppression and did pass voter suppression laws. Quite the opposite. More people are engaged in early voting and, and voting in the primary. When the Democrats take political action to try and win these legal battles, that's it, man. Don't ignore the signs. Here's what I think could happen. And then I'll I'll walk you through the news about where we're currently at, because we got people screaming Liz Cheney, Trump is the most dangerous ultra MAGA must be stopped. Let me give you my proposed scenario. It is speculative and it's probably wrong, but I entertain the thought abortion being the principal moral issue. Right now, if you look at abortion by states, it, it's very similar to the Civil War lines. So what happens? Republicans win the Senate and they win the House. They then move to ban abortion federally. Talk to any pro-lifer and they'll say, for the most part, yes, they would like to see abortion banned federally. You are seeing blue states and red states deviate further and further to the extremes of their position, meaning pro-lifers are like, we're going to ban it outright, period. Pro-choice. I don't think you can even call it that. Pro-abortion. They're saying no restrictions at all. This is causing or contributing to geographic hyperpolarization. You now have states completely at odds and already defying the federal government. One example is California saying we're a sanctuary state. Immigration laws not being upheld. Republicans win, win the Senate, win the House. They pass a bill. Joe Biden vetoes it. Never going to happen. Donald Trump says, the first thing I'll do if I get elected is I'm going to pass that bill and we're going to ban abortion. If he does, and I'm not, I don't, I really think it's, I think it's out there. I don't think it's extremely likely. I'm saying it's a possibility. You're going to see blue states saying no. Many people have argued for peaceful divorce. Robert Rice says we're drifting towards that. You need to understand the first civil war was started by peaceful divorce and quickly after when the federal government said we want our military capabilities upheld. War broke out. So even if we have a peaceful divorce, even if blue states say we no longer will listen, I'm going to show you the timeline at least part of it, of the Civil War. So you can understand we are headed in a similar direction. Call it peaceful, whatever you want. Lawfare begets conflict, begets separation, and then fighting. So let's read the news. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com and become a member if you want to support the work I do here, the work we do at TimCast. You want to see us hire more journalists. As a member, you will get access to exclusive segments from the TimCast IRL podcast Monday through Thursday at 11 p.m. You will also be supporting all of our journalists and you'll be supporting our infrastructure. We use Rumble, as I often say. It's important. They're alternative They're an alternative to the big tech Silicon Valley ecosystem. Support businesses that support building up this space. We can be more resilient to censorship, and so can you. Go to TimCast.com, be a member. But don't forget to smash that like button right now. Subscribe to this channel. Share the show. Take the URL. Put it wherever you can. If everybody shared this right now, we'd be bigger than CNN and MSNBC overnight. So please consider sharing. Let's read the news. As I showed you from the tweet from Kyle Cheney. Kyle Cheney is the senior legal affairs reporter with Politico, with a focus on January 6th, mentioning a federal appeals court has ruled the 14th Amendment's bar insurrectionists holding office may be applied to current and future political candidates. The, the, the uh, filing is here from Politico. And they say, because, uh, uh, let me make sure I actually, uh, I have this. Okay, here we, here we go. They say, you know, a few words about what we have not decided. We express no opinion about whether Representative Cawthorn, in fact, engaged in insurrection or rebellion or is otherwise qualified to serve in Congress. We likewise do not consider whether Article one, Section five of the Constitution reserves such determinations exclusively to the House of Representatives or whether states may play a role in regulating ballot access based on constitutional qualifications under the time, place and manner of cla- uh, uh, manner clause of Article one, Section four. Nor do we reach Representative Cawthorne's due process and First Amendment claims we hold only that the 1872 Amnesty Act does not categorically exempt all future rebels and insurrectionists from political uh, from, from the political disabilities that otherwise would be created by Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The judgment of the district court is therefore reversed, vacated and remanded. Now, there's a lot in there, but they're basically saying the previous court's ruling about the Amnesty Act is void. If you engage in insurrection after the Civil War, you can be removed, opening the door to many, many more. We have this from Jeffrey Levin. I don't know who Jeffrey Levin is, but he's got 638,000 followers. Granted, he's following 600,000 people, so he probably only has actually like 30,000 followers. Anyway, I digress. He says we need to enforce the 14th Amendment to defend against an existential threat to our democracy. Now, I don't care about this individual or their following. I care about the occupied Democrats meme that was posted. Quote, after the last civil war, we passed the 14th Amendment, where Section 3 provides that insurrectionist officials shall be banned from future office. To prevent another civil war, we must enforce Section 3, banning any official who participated in the January 6th insurrection. A quote from Tristan Snell, former New York assistant attorney general. All right, where are we at? John Bonifaz posted on May 16th, we just filed on behalf of Georgia voters challenging Rep. Green's eligibility. Our petition for appeal before the Fulton County Superior Court. The mandate of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment must be followed. And where does this bring us? To the New York Times, the 147 Republicans who voted to overturn the election results. And this is what's being argued right now by many of these Democrats, that if you voted to overturn the election results, you engaged in insurrection against this country. How long until they start bringing the cudgel of lawfare to these individuals to disqualify them? In fact, they already are. As you can see, you've got Elise Stefanik. You've got Lauren Boebert. I'm fairly certain Marjorie Taylor Greene is in here somewhere. Obviously, you got Louie Gohmert. You have 147 people here. You got um, Josh Hawley. You've got senators. You've got Congress, men and women. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all-time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. If they start to remove people from office or stop them from being able to run, this is not this is not a functioning political system. It is not a democracy, nor is it a constitutional republic. My friends, this is quite literally just a collapse. Democrats can't win. The Republicans have record turnout. They know they can't win and they refuse to give up power. So lawfare. I've mentioned this before, that when you start using legal power to remove someone from, an off- from office, despite what the people might actually want, you're going to get a civil war. Let me go back to that, that meme from Occupy Democrats. They want a civil war. They genuinely want a civil war. They accuse me of wanting one because projection is what the left does. No, I don't. I want the United States to stand, stand tall against China. And I want to crush the establishment and the woke lunatics and unify this country. Maybe that's not possible, but you better understand you will not be living comfortably in a civil war. The reason why I say they want a civil war is that look at this manipulation. They have to ban Republicans from running for office. Otherwise, we'll get a civil war. Are you joking? If you remove popular politicians like Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene, you will get a civil war. If people feel that their views are not being represented, you will get a civil war. If people feel that their rights are being crushed, you will get a civil war. And thus, I feel like it's inevitable. I'm not saying it's guaranteed. I'm saying if we remain on this path straight ahead, I can see civil war. There are many roads and paths we may end up taking. For all I know, in a few months, the Democrats all concede, you know, the the midterms happen, Republicans win such a resounding uh, victory, that Democrats change their tune, walk away from the edge, the woke are left holding an empty bag, and everything simmers down. It's entirely possible. I'm saying if we do not course correct, we are seeing escalation across the board. Let me show you what comes next. Kyle Cheney says the January 6th Select Committee needs one last legal victory to access the RNC's internal files before next month's public hearings. Are you all insane? Yeah, midterm season. Let's break into the Republican National Committee's file paperwork, internal files. And then we'll see if the American people have confidence in our elections. Perhaps it doesn't matter to them. Perhaps it literally just does not matter to them. They don't care. They just want power, and they will gut this system to get whatever they want. From the Washington Post, Democrats beware. The primaries foretell a spike in GOP turnout, and here's why it's happening. Most of the discussion so far about Tuesday's primary elections has focused on the ongoing battles between factions within the two parties. There's a bigger story that pundits are missing. Strong turnout in Republican primaries portends an excellent year for the GOP. The pro-GOP pattern is unmistakable. Turnout among Republicans in the 10 states that have held primaries so far is up substantially from, from the last comparable election year. Meanwhile, turnout in Democratic contests is down in five of those states and up only marginally in most others. In total, according to data compiled by political consultant John Kuvalon, GOP turnout is up 32% while Democratic turnout is down 3% and they know it. Your woke, psychotic, cult nonsense has done this to you. Two things. Some of those Republicans that are now that are now voting, increasing those numbers, probably used to be Democrats. Some of those Democrats who left probably left because of your woke, psychotic behavior. Among other things, it's the economy, stupid. The economy is bad. People are changing political parties. And now we are advancing towards something a bit more dramatic. NBC's Yam, uh, Yamichi, I'm sorry, Yamish Alsendor, sorry for not pronouncing your name correctly, of Georgia's voter suppression law, is saying Republicans think, quote, these black people don't deserve the access to citizenship in the way that other Americans do, that they haven't worked for it and they don't understand the weight of American democracy. They can't reflect. That's what they think. They think people. Think that That, that's insane. I'm sorry. That is just categorically false. Talk to any Republican. Not true. In fact, there are black conservatives who will tell you that's just insane. If that's the path they're taking, they will inflame tensions among the left with this race, psychotic, woke nonsense. And they won't realize why it is they're losing. Why the GOP primary turnout suggests red wave in November midterms. Why Georgia heads to polls after highest primary turnout ever despite new voting laws. A 212% jump from 2020. But uh, they said it was uh, voter suppression? Across the board, everybody is voting. Take a look at this from Glenn Greenwald. One of the smarter and more independent-minded left liberal writers, Sam Adler-Bell, has a good article in the New York Mag on the Nina Jankowicz DHS fiasco and the dangers of disinformation industry, basically saying they have a psychic wound that they can't reflect He nods to a few of what he sees as rhetorical accesses about Jankowicz herself. I think the objections to her were fastidiously factual, but he highlights the key point. Government officials are professional liars. Trusting them with disinformation boards is madness. Incredible. They cannot reflect. They are going nuts. Liz Cheney, who's basically a Democrat, says Trump is a threat. The U.S. has never faced before and tells Americans to stand up to the liars and protect the Constitution. Over at Salon. Any Republicans want to speak out now? Alarm after Trump shares Civil War post. Incredible. They blame Trump because he retruthed, basically retweeted, someone said the words Civil War. Okay. Well, let's take a look at what Robert Reich has to say, a prominent Democrat strategist and personality. He says, The truth about America's second civil war. Also, he wrote an article for The Guardian saying it's already happening, but here's what he writes The Supreme Court's upcoming decision to reverse Roe v. Wade doesn't ban abortions. It leaves the issue to the states. As a result, it will put another large brick in the growing wall separating blue and red America. Some say we're on the verge of a civil war, but that's not right. It won't be a formal secession, but a kind of benign separation analogous to unhappily married people who don't want to go through the trauma of a formal divorce. We are already quietly splitting into two Americas. One largely urban, racially and ethnically diverse, and young. The other largely rural or ex-urban, white and older, each running according to different laws with different sources of revenue. The split is accelerating. Red zip codes are getting redder and blue zip codes bluer. Of the nation's total 3,143 counties, the number of super landslide counties where a presidential candidate won at least 80% of the vote, jumped from 6% in 04 to 22% in 2020. Notice different sources of revenue. For those of you who are long, uh, long fans or listeners of my podcast and show, you know that I brought this up, I think, four years ago when I said, by censoring so many people and banning everybody, you will eventually foment parallel economies. And when you do, there is, no, there is nothing tying either faction to each other. You know what's really remarkable about that? Shout out to all my haters who are like, can, I, can we get one prediction from Tim Pool, right? Sure. There's one. You actually now have from Dan Bongino and many others. A company called Parallel Economy that facilitates financial transactions for people who are concerned about censorship on the left. We at TimCast.com use Rumble because we don't want to be censored by big tech Silicon Valley psychotic woke nonsense. And more is happening. Once we are completely censor-proof, and we're not yet. Then, people are going to speak freely. They're going to build up. You're going to see more conversations. You're going to see more challenging. You're going to see an entrenching of these ideas, a refusal to back down, and no reason to cater to the other side. Already, we wonder. You know, I ask this. I make no money off the woke. I have no viewership from them, and I don't care about. I don't care for their ideas. I think they're bad ideas. So why would I ever come out and try to? throw them a bone. I wouldn't. Same thing is true for the woke. They're not going to get anything from me. So they're just going to lie about me and no one cares. I don't care what you know, I, I care to a certain degree if they defame me and it damages me, you know, and if I have to sue, I would. But what can I say when they post nonsense about me? If it's not, if it's their opinion on certain issues, I don't care. People are like, yo, Tim, people are saying these things about you. I don't care. It's like, it's like telling me the people in France are complaining about something I said. What do I care about people in France? They have nothing to do with me. We have already split into two countries with different sources of revenues and laws. It is already happening. You want peaceful divorce? I warn you, peaceful divorce very quickly turns into hot conflict. But it's happening. Whether you care for it, whether you want it to or not, it's here when people like Robert Reich. People on the left are saying the same thing as people on the right. And then the left pretends like they're angry at Donald Trump for saying civil war when they're calling for it, or at the very least, saying it's already happening. It is an emergent phenomenon. It doesn't matter if you want it or don't want it. It is happening. Now, he goes on to, exa- uh, uh, to uh, expand upon his ideas with becoming America is growing more geographically, geographically polarized. I completely agree. I've said the exact same thing. He says blue states are moving the opposite direction. Colorado, Vermont are codifying a right to abortion without restriction. Some are helping cover, cover expenses for out-of-staters. While Idaho proposed abandoned abortions that empowers relatives to sue anyone who helps terminate a pregnancy after six weeks. After the governor of Texas ordered state agencies to investigate parents. But you get the point. And the funny thing is, I'll give you an example of why. I, another reason I think we're heading in this direction and we're doomed. Not not doomed in the sense like it's going to be bad for everybody, you're going to die. I'm just saying doomed in the sense the U.S. will break. Democrats just tried to pass a bill legalizing the termination of a baby's life at nine months if the mother's health is at risk. My question, if you can remove the baby from the mother without killing the mother and you'd be sa- uh, without killing the baby and you'd be saving the mother, why kill the baby? The CDC defines abortion as terminating a pregnancy that does not, in a way, that does not result in a live birth. That means if the baby's alive, viable, as the law said, viable, meaning it can survive outside the womb on its own, <clears throat> why kill it? I didn't say it was happening. I said, why legalize it? The response was the media just saying, right-wing nut job Tim Pool is obsessed with things that aren't happening. There's no real dialogue anymore. I, I never said it was happening. I said, why legalize it? Why? They can't answer the question. Because it's tribalism. Well, let me show you the conclusion of Robert Reich's thesis, and then I'll explain that it's wrong. He says, where will this all end? Not with two separate nations. What America is going through is less like a civil war and more like a Brexit. A lumbering mutual decision to go separate ways on most things, but remain connected on a few big things, such as national defense, monetary policy, and civil and political rights. We'll still be America, but we're becoming two versions of America. The open question is analogous to the one faced by every couple that separates. How will we find ways to be civil toward each other? Robert, close but no cigar. You're mostly wrong. Well, I should say, actually, you're mostly right. But you're missing a a, 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 a a few key points. There you go. I got it out. One, California is a sanctuary state. They are not upholding the law as it pertains to illegal immigration. This in the past, according to some NGOs, provided them with one extra electoral vote And congressional seat, because congressional seats are apportioned not based on citizenry, but based on population size, period, regardless of whether you're a citizen or not. Thus, they gained disproportionate federal power. What happens when Texas says we do not respect the rights of their members of Congress because they are violating federal law? And in doing so, giving themselves disproportionate power at the federal level to negatively impact our rights. Let me let me show you what's going on. Let's go back to a quick reading of the timeline of the first civil war. My friends, it was a peaceful divorce. At least for two months. And then the federal government said, we don't recognize you and we want our military bases upheld. So what happened? Well, the state said no. The federal government said no. And they started shooting at each other. Over at Wikipedia, for the outbreak of the war, they mention very interesting things. They say, before the war, South Carolina did more than any other state to advance the notion that a state had the right to nullify federal laws and even to secede from the the United States. The convention unanimously voted to to, to secede on December 20th, 1860, and adopted a secession declaration. It argued for states' rights for slave owners in the South, but contained a complaint about states' rights in the North in the form of opposition to the Fugitive Slave Act, claiming that northern states were not fulfilling their federal obligations under the Constitution. The cotton states of Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas followed suit, seceding in January and February of 1861. Let me show you about this law, the Fugitive Slave Act. It was a law passed by the U.S. Congress on September 18, 1850. As part of the compromise between southern interests in slavery and northern free, free, uh, free soilers, the actors are the most controversial elements of the 1850 compromise um, uh, and heightened northern fears of a slave power conspiracy. It required that all escaped slaves upon capture be returned to the slaver and that officials and citizens of free states had to cooperate. Abolished, abolitionists nicknamed it the bill the, the bloodhound bill after the dogs that were used to track down people fleeing from slavery. The act contributed to the growing polarization of the country over the issue. It was one of the factors that led to the Civil War. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to Economist dot com and get your first month free. Let me let me let me bring this to the modern time. Southern states said we have a federal law that says you must return slaves. Now, I actually think that was good that they were not upholding that law because slavery is, in my opinion, outright and obviously a violation of the Constitution. How dare you say all men are created equal, and I believe that was a Declaration of Independence, and then have slaves. Yeah, sorry, doesn't fly. And I love bringing up Frederick Douglass, who challenged the American people to stand by the words they themselves wrote in saying such a thing. But here's, outside of any moral statement, look at the fact statement. If the federal government passes a law saying you must, and you don't, then you're going to see states say, if you will not uphold the law, why are we being forced to do the same? If the South was being told they could not have certain things, but the North was not agreeing to it, civil war seemed likely granted slavery was wrong. Go cry about it. Today we have strong moral issues on immigration and abortion. California is being told they must upload, uphold federal law on illegal immigration. They're not doing it. They've declared themselves a sanctuary in New York. They, New York City, they allow non-citizens to vote. At what point does Texas, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, North Dakota, even Wyoming, West Virginia, at what point do the red states say you allow people to come in? violate our laws, and if you will not uphold them at the federal level, why are we subject to your taxes, your laws? That's what precipitated the first civil war, the same argument. Why would it not reemerge in the face of the exact same problems? Now this challenges absolutely, but when you have blue states saying no restrictions on abortion, red states saying we must have re- restrictions on abortion, you are looking at these issues. Here's what I think may actually happen. I think the Republicans will try to ban abortion. Roe v. Wade's gone. Oh, they say it's a state's states issue. Sure, for now. For now, they say, we just want the states to decide. Ask a pro-lifer. I asked James Coglin on Timcast IRL, would you be in favor of banning abortion at the federal level? He said, yes. Would you vote for people who advocated for such? Yes, absolutely. Well, there it is. Pro-lifers, maybe not all of them, but some of the most prominent Would absolutely support a federal ban on abortion. So Congress gets in the Republican. They try and pass the bill defeated by filibuster or veto. Donald Trump says when he gets in, he will sign the Save the Children Act federally banning abortion. And blue states will say, no, we will not enforce that law. You will then have people going to these red states to get abortions. I'm sorry, going to the blue states. The red states will say "Uh, anybody who goes and commits these these crimes are in violation of federal law and they should be arrested. Hey, the blue states will then say we're not going to enforce that. Sorry. Just like this. Now, you can argue whoever you think is right. I'm not issuing a moral statement. You can say the Democrats will be right. They defied the Fugitive Slave Act in the first place. They'll defy the ban on abortion regardless of who you think is going to win. It is what leads to civil war. Red states will say you're allowing people to commit murder. Blue states will say we don't care. I think the situation is, in a sense, reversed in a lot of ways. I don't know uh, if it's true and correct, but my understanding is that every instance where a group has tried to deny personhood to a human being, they've lost. Slavery was a good example. Today what you have are people... Fleeing to blue states to effectively deny personhood rights of unborn babies. And for some reason, the left is arguing from the Bible that life begins at first breath. So it says, I don't know if it says that. I just think if a baby is viable. Why kill it? But outside of any moral arguments, if the right says unborn children should have rights. And that includes men having to pay child support for a woman as soon as she's pregnant, which they do say. And then in blue states, they're like, we can kill that. You have a very serious problem. You have red states saying the unborn child is under our protection. And a blue state saying we can kill them. What do you think that leads to? I think it leads to uh, civil war. There's other factors involved, of course. But let me show you this. They mention January and February of 1861, we saw... Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas secede. South Carolina. This was before Abraham Lincoln became president. Seven states had seceded. Now they see, uh, let's read some more. Let's read this. They say, among the ordinances of secession passed by the individual states, those three, Texas, Alabama, and Virginia, specifically mention the plight of the slaveholding states at the hands of the northern abolitionists. The rest make no mention of slavery issue. And are often brief announcements of the dissolution of ties by the legislatures. However, at least four states, South Carolina, Mississippi, Georgia, and Texas, also passed lengthy and detailed explanations of their cause for secession, all of which laid blame squarely on the movement to abolish slavery and that movement's influence over the politics of northern states. Southern states believed slaveholding was a constitutional right because of the fugitive Slave clause of the Constitution. Those states agreed to form a new federal government, the Confederate States of America on February 4th, 1861. They took control of federal forts and other properties within their boundaries with little resistance from outgoing President James Buchanan, whose term ended on March 4th. Seven states had already seceded. On March 4th, 1861, Abraham Lincoln was sworn in. In his inaugural address, he argued the Constitution was a, was a more perfect union than the earlier Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union that it was a binding contract, and called any secession legally void. The fascinating thing is that we then saw many other states secede because, I believe, of Fort Sumter. Sumter. This battle began in April of 1861. On April 15, 1861, Lincoln called on all the states to send forces to recapture the fort and other federal properties. The scale of the rebellion appeared to be small, so he called for only 75,000 volunteers for 90 days. In western Missouri, local secessionists seized Liberty Arsenal. On May 3rd, 1861, Lincoln called for an additional 42,000 volunteers for a period of three years. Shortly after this, Virginia, Tennessee, Arkansas, and North Carolina seceded and joined the Confederacy. To reward Virginia, the Confederate capital was, rem- was moved to Richmond. It's fascinating. Before Lincoln even became president, seven states had seceded. Then, with Fort Sumter, my understanding, having, I, read a, I read a book about this a long time ago, was that people were shocked that Union forces were advancing the way they were, and it terrified them. So they said, we're done with this. Maryland, Delaware, Missouri, and Kentucky were slave states that had divided loyalties to Northern and Southern businesses and family members. Some men enlisted in the Union Army and others in the Confederate Army. West Virginia separated from Virginia and was admitted to the Union on June 20th, 1863. Take a look at this map. You can see the t- t- uh, Union versus the Confederacy. Dark blue are Union states. Light blue is Union territories not permitting slavery. The yellow states were border Union states permitting slavery. Of these states, West Virginia was created in 1863. Red was Confederate states. And the oranges orangish are Union territories permitting slavery, claimed by the Confederacy at the start of the war. But where, where slavery was outlawed by the U.S. in 1862. I find this map particularly interesting because it could very much work similarly. I don't think the Civil War ever ended. We had, we had the, uh, the um, what is it, the, the clemency, 1872, where they were like, you know, okay, you know, if you can be, you can run for office even if you were involved in the Civil War because we are trying to stop Civil War. Take a look at these states. I mean, you've got New England, you've got Illinois, you've got Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, You've got Washington, Oregon, Nevada, California. They're all blue. It would be very similar. Now, many of these territories in the middle might split the country in half, but it seems like a North versus South thing is entirely possible. What you need to understand about Texas is that their involvement was mostly about geography. They're surrounded. What option did they have? Who would they do trade with? Who would they do business with if they sided with the North? They'd be just occupied instantly anyway. But of course, Texas was a slave state, part of the Confederacy. I don't know exactly how it will play out. I just think it's silly when people say we need to purge people from federal government. Why? That was part of the problem which led to the Civil War. They say we we can have sanctuary states and we don't have to abide by federal law. Also something that led to the Civil War. Now they're trying to disqualify people. Okay. Get rid of those who truly represent the values of the American libertarian or conservative right or whatever, post-liberals. And you will see people say... Then why would we listen? Florida may be first. Already we have seen Joe Biden in the past year speaking only to blue states about COVID, not red states. Red states completely defying the federal government. How long until the federal government's authority is just considered void? How long until red states then say, we're going to take command of local National Guard posts and we're going to take command of the military posts, and the federal government says no? How long until Joe Biden sends in, or Donald Trump? Oh, I think it would be Trump. I think Democrats will say no. Trump will send in national uh, federal police to stop abortions. It's entirely possible. I'm not saying probable. I'm saying it's possible. I don't know what will happen. But imagine the scenario. Democrats refuse to ban abortion. They start running state-funded abortion clinics. They start bringing smuggling people in from red states to get abortions. And the federal government says that's illegal and moves to shut them down. They surround an abortion clinic and say, come out with your hands up. Antifa and, and California or Nevada or Colorado send in police to, to defy the military and they refuse to do it. And then what? Maybe no you know, Colorado uh, state-level uh, law enforcement would stand against the U.S. Army or National Guard. Or maybe they will. Maybe they'll claim Trump is illegitimate. Maybe they'll claim some nonsense about insurrectionists in the 14th Amendment and say the government's been captured and we refuse to listen. Maybe they will choose to take orders from the state government over the federal government and actually stand in defiance to defend an abortion clinic. Or maybe abortion won't be the issue. I don't know for sure. But I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 8 p.m. tonight at youtube.com slash timcast IRL. We'll talk more about this. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see you all then. Ladies and gentlemen, we face an unprecedented food shortage. Inflation is tearing through the economy. Many people are wondering how they'll be able to afford their weekly groceries... There is a potential diesel shortage on the way, which could make everything worse because now there will be no shipping without diesel fuel. How will we even grow the crops and harvest them? Not to mention the price of gas for the average person is through the roof, through the roof, breaking records. And there's only thing we can do. It's about time that we as a nation took the only logical action of sending $54 billion to Ukraine for their war effort and opening up our southern border to waves, hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants. It's the only way. It's almost like as everything boils around us and implodes, the uh, Democratic establishment, the establishment uniparty, is actually content on making things worse. Well, there are certainly some people who are making a statement, albeit one that's not really doing all that much, but it's kind of funny anyway. On this uh, ever-so-dire of mornings, I guess, Governor Abbott says he will send more than 400 buses of migrants to D.C. as he laments Biden and Harris have never once reached out to him about the crisis. With White House steering clear of border, the day Title 42 was supposed to end. The courts have said you, you, you can't end Title 42, which is basically if an illegal immigrant crosses the border, they can take him and send him right back. It's a COVID policy. Biden's trying to lift it. Yo, know, I just don't know what to think at this point. How can you come to me or any reasonable person and say it's not on purpose? So let me that that bit I just did opening this segment. Let me lay it out for you. Gas prices are at record highs. Never been higher on average. AAA says it could get up to $6 per gallon by August, likely. In California, they've added digits to their gas stations to prepare for $10 per gallon gas. People are not going to be able to work. Diesel, also through the roof. I think the average is over 5 bucks. Could even reach $10. Bucks, and when it does, that means everything goes up. Diesel fuel is how we transport things in many ways. It's how we make those things, if we even make anything at all. With that, we're going to be looking at uh, COVID's effectively uh, not an issue anymore. I mean, everything's supposed to be open, but we're still facing the repercussions of the economic shutdown. You, You cannot just stop a freight train in its tracks. The whole thing implodes or just flies up in the air and crashes. So now we don't have food. Now we have uh, fuel shortages, record prices of both food and fuel. Baby formula. Major crisis. People aren't going to be able to feed their kids. What are you going to do? Now, some people might lose their minds when they have to uh, feed themselves. But I'm worried about what people will do when they can't feed their children because it's one thing if you can't eat and you're sitting on the side of the road starving, saying, please, I need food. It's another thing when you are looking at your son or daughter crying because you know you don't have food for them. What would a person be willing to do? So that's why I find this story funny. You know, when I, see, I saw this story about Abbott sending the bus up to D.C., I'm like, that's, that's, that's hilarious. Ha <laughs> ha! I don't know what Abbott should do. I think this is only going to make the problem worse. I mean, let's be real. Abbott says he's going to send 400 buses of migrants. If Title 42 is still in effect, send them home. We cannot be allowing a million plus or more millions of illegal immigrants to enter the United States at a time when we can't even feed ourselves. Isn't this insane? And now we're hearing that Joe Biden wants to spend, wants to send special forces to Ukraine? No joke. U.S. boots on the ground. It is mind numbingly infuriating. The U.S. says we need to reopen our embassy in Kiev. Oh, but now we have to protect it. Send in the special forces. It's an excuse to get U.S. boots on the ground. This is what we have to look forward to. Let's talk about a little bit of all of it. So, um, look, with this wave of illegal immigrants, let me show you this. With NPR reporting just the other day, with food prices climbing, the U.N. is warning of crippling global shortages. I'm going to do another shout out for safe and ready meals. You know, I, I do these periodically I here's the crazy thing is I used to do them once every few months because I'm not I'm not all that big on telling everybody, quick, buy food. I have been in this in these past five months because of what's coming in fall. Head over to safeandreadymeals.com. Pick up your emergency food if you haven't already. This is a sponsored spot for this segment. Uh, Thank you so much to, uh, you know, safeandreadymeals.com for sponsoring uh, the work that I do. Let me just lay it out for you. It's a combination of news and this, this, this sponsored post Why I think you should really consider this. Fertilizer shortage because of the war with uh, Ukraine and Russia. The U.S. is now basically directly involved. The U.S. provided intel to Ukraine, which they used to bomb the Moskva, the Black, uh, the Black Sea flagship for Russia. The Biden administration wants to send special forces into Kiev, Illegal immigrants are set to flood the U.S. border. They've already been. The U.S. has deployed border guards to Europe to deal with refugees instead of our own border. There's a food shortage that is coming. It's a crisis we've talked about quite a bit. We don't have the fertilizer. Planting season has already begun. Planting season's probably coming to an end for a lot of staple crops. Without fertilizer, what do you get? Some are estimating crop yields could be down 30 to 50%. That means... Look for a comparable price increase. People got to eat. If there's only half as much wheat available, companies are going to compete for that wheat. So you're talking about breads, biscuits, anything, cereals. So you want to get your cinnamon toast crunch? You want to get your muffins? Well, those companies are going to be going to the wheat suppliers saying, we need, or I'm sorry, it's probably going through a flour processing thing. The flour company is going to get as much as they can and say, we're at limited capacity. Then they're going to be like, I got everybody bidding, saying, we want to buy wheat. I only have enough for half. Food will double in price. Or maybe it's a bit of a stretch. A 30 to 50% increase, maybe, due to supply constraints. And then you're going to go to the store, and there's not going to be all that much. Now, look, to be honest, we got too much of a lot of different things anyway. But I think the issue is, you think baby formula is bad? SafeAndReadyMeals.com. Get your emergency food supply, because come fall, the harvest is going to be limited. They're not going to be able to ship the things you need. And as all of this is happening, our resources are being sent to Ukraine. Not all of them. I know it's just 60 or so billion dollars, which is a lot. We could be spending that elsewhere. But we also have this illegal immigration problem. What are they going to eat? The million plus people that are coming across the border, they got to eat too, right? We, we can't even get baby formula for our own kids. And they're sending baby formula to the border. This is insane. Now, look, I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just saying it's me. You know, if it's me, I, I bought a bunch of this stuff. Safeandreadymeals.com. Do what you got to do. Take a look at this. <clears throat> Greg Abbott said Monday that Texas has been forced to fight against the Biden administration regarding border security and said he wants to flood D.C. with 450 buses of migrants so the nation's capital can experience what his state's communities facing are facing. I think it's funny. You know, we got this uh, this press conference here. Is that going to solve the problem? No, it's going to make the problem worse. I get it. It probably feels good, right, Abbott? Sending in these buses saying, now you know what it's like, but you're sending illegal immigrants into the heart of this country where they will then spread out and without any regulation without any economic planning, they're going to be a burden on our existing food markets. Maybe, maybe many will start to leave once they realize ain't no food here either. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. I suppose the issue is there's no food here. There's not going to be food there, so they'll stay here. And then we have to contend with it. And then we're going to have to deal with the fallout from this. NPR reports, fears of a global food crisis are growing due to the shock of the war in Ukraine, climate change, and rising inflation. Oh, yeah, all those things. Kristalina Georgieva, the International Monetary Fund Managing Director, told the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, on Monday that the anxiety about access to food at a reasonable price globally is hitting the roof as food prices continue to go up, up, up. Last week, the UN Se- Secretary General Antonio Guterres Gutierrez warned of the specter of a global food shortage in the coming months without urgent international action. Okay, okay, okay. I kind of feel like at a certain point we're saying the same things over and over again. It's just the next grain of sand has been dropped into the heap. They say, according to UN figures, the number of severely food insecure people has doubled in the past two years from 135 million to 276 million today, which is what we all predicted when they began to lock down everything in this country. When the COVID lockdowns happened, it was pro- projected that we were going to see 250 million starving people. We're there, baby. In Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya, the number of people facing extreme, extreme hunger has more than doubled since last year, from roughly 10 million to more than 23 million, according to the report. Across the three countries, the report notes, one person is likely dying every 48 seconds from acute hunger-related causes stemming from armed conflict, conflict COVID-19, climate change, and inflationary pressures worsened by the war in Ukraine. They keep saying the war in Ukraine, but I'm not convinced that that's really the issue. From Fox 29, world has 10 weeks supply of wheat. Expert tells UN Security Council, this is seismic. I'm just going to stress this point again. Look, man, I can't tell you what to do. I don't even know if many of you can afford some of these emergency food supplies. I can only say this. Someone super chatted us last night on Timcast IRL. They said, every time you go out, fill up your car, no matter how much gas you use. And they said, You can fill up, you can spend 4 bucks on one gallon, then $4.30 on on a second gallon, and then later you can spend $4.60 on a third gallon, or you can spend $4.60 on three gallons. You get the point? What they're saying is prices are going to go up. Not everybody's going to rush out and fill up their tank. But if you buy as you go, always stopping and topping off, you're saving a little bit here and there. In the long run, you're going to save yourself a lot of money. The same thing I would say is true for food. But I don't think hoarding is a good idea. I don't think panic buying is a good idea either. But right now, have you thought about what you're going to do if the shelves uh, are barren? Do you remember what it was like during COVID? I do. We went to our suburban Walmart, and the only thing they had was mac and cheese, which is really weird. I mean, like, nobody wanted it, I guess. So there was some mac and cheese. Uh, There actually were a lot of canned beans Perhaps people don't realize what they need to survive on. So when it came to buying stuff, people bought dumb things. The pasta was was gone for the most part, but there was like macaroni noodles. Nobody wanted those. You're not going to survive on mac and cheese. You're not going to survive on pasta. You're not going to survive on bread. Having it is better than nothing. I'll be completely honest. But rice and beans... Probably good. I think rice and beans provides you all the complete amino chains you need to survive. I'm not entirely, don't, I'm not a nutritionist. Don't take my advice. I'm just saying rice and beans is like a staple. We went to the store and we grabbed up a bunch of beans and we ate them all. For the past uh, year or so, I've taken it very seriously and purchased emergency food, like I mentioned with Safe and Ready Meals, and I've shouted out now several times. It's kind of crazy. In In 2020 and 2021, I was shouting out emergency food periodically. I had all these mainstream left, you know, Vice did a hit piece. Like, look at me selling food. I want a moron. And it's like, now we have, I'll put it this way. By all means, listen to Vice, if you so choose. And laugh at me. Don't care. The cost of the emergency food is going up. If you bought an emergency food bucket two years ago, it's going to last you 23 more years, and it was way cheaper. Isn't that crazy? It's inflation, too. That's the other issue. It's like, a 10-week supply of wheat. What do you think the price of wheat's going to be when we run out? Someone's going to be opening up their jack, and they are like, yo, you want some flour? 50 bucks, one bag. And you're going to be like, well, rather not starve. And then people who have prepared for this stuff, preppers, like legit preppers, are going to be sitting back smoking a cigar being like, I ain't got nothing to worry about. For the rest of us who are considering buying some, we're going to be like, I'm glad I bought some, but how long is it really going to last us? I don't have all the answers. I can't tell you what to do. But every single day over the past month or so, over the past three months, we've been getting inundated with stories about a wave of illegal immigrants, buses and and planes shipping them all over the US. We can already barely sustain ourselves as things get worse. Record gas prices through the roof. Biden wants to tap into our resources and the specter of outright World War III. Biden admin, considering sending U.S. special operations forces to protect U.S. embassy in Kiev. Great. They shut the embassy down. They reopen it. And then they say, well, now we got to protect it. We're going to have to send in special forces. You know what the special forces are going to do. They're going to engage in warfare on behalf of Ukraine. It's going to be direct war with Russia. At what point does Vladimir Putin saying, fire Z missiles"? Here we go. We are not the source of the problem. Kremlin says the West is to blame for global food shortage. Okay. I'm I'm curious. Comment below. Have y'all gone to the grocery store and taken a look at uh, the price of food? When you've been buying groceries, have you been tracking how much the cost of groceries has been going up? It's crazy. A year ago, I talked about how I went to the grocery store and I got like a third of a cart of groceries and the price was like double a year ago. I think we're headed towards $10 for a gallon of milk. I think we're headed towards $10 for a loaf of bread. I don't know, man. I got to be honest. I don't do uh, the grocery shopping anymore, to be real. Uh, I I was last year, but now I'm just swamped, too busy. So we basically just, uh, we use one of those like Uber-like services. And uh, the prices have been going up for the most part. I uh, I don't track the the cost of a gallon of milk, but milk, bread, and eggs, man. The other thing too is I don't buy eggs either. We have chickens. We have too many chickens, and they just keep cranking out the eggs. We have too many eggs. We're giving them away. That's cool though. That's cool though. Based on the amount that we spend on the chickens, the amount of eggs we get, we're we're actually generating a profit. But then you know, I, I guess Chicken City is actually maintaining our food supply. Go to ChickenCityLive.com if you want to watch live chickens. Uh do chicken stuff. And uh, but the chicken parties. Have have basically funded my eggs for breakfast. So in order to get food and, and take care of the chickens, you know, we gotta have someone do the work. But Chicken City pays for that, so you know, hey, there you go. I can't I can't predict the future, my friends. Predict it for yourself. Figure out what you think. Fortune says with exports from Ukraine and Russia largely halted, a global food global food prices are projected to rise twenty-two point nine percent this year, according to the World Bank. And a hunger crisis affecting the world's most vulnerable countries is well underway. Let me reiterate a point I made last night. Who is at fault for all of this? Joe Biden and the Democrats. And I know they're desperately saying, no, no, you can't blame Democrats for this. It's happening everywhere. Let me just give you some basic logic. Facts and logic, my friends. Donald Trump, uh, not a proponent of climate change. He's like, "Not, nah, we need oil. Drill, baby, drill, right? When he gets elected, what do we see? Best numbers of our lives, according to CNBC's Jim Cramer. Uh, the economy was, was booming in 2019. COVID hits. The economy takes a big tank. I'm not going to blame Trump for that. And I'm not going to blame Biden. However, Biden enacted a bunch of policies. Biden is the party uh, from the party of the climate change you know, people. It's not a moral statement on climate change or a scientific one. It's a simple fact statement. Do you think the people who are screaming that we need to reduce carbon emissions, otherwise climate change will kill us, are going to want a booming economy? No. Booming economy means people have more babies. More babies means more people, more adults. More adults means more consumption. If Bill Gates is coming out saying we need to reduce population growth, do you think he's going to be involved in advocacy for things that will result in a good economy for you? Do you think they want to make your life easier? No, your life being easier means you will have a family. That's bad. Your life being easier means you can buy more gas. It means you can buy more products. It means more consumption. If they genuinely believe that we need to end consumption and reduce population, there's one way you do it. You strain the average person. So I I, I hope you realize that it's that simple. Why are we seeing illegal immigrants flood the border and Biden doesn't care? Honestly, I can't tell you definitively. I can say it probably has something to do with wanting to strain the system. It probably has something to do with making sure people can't get good jobs, can't make a good wage, that prices will skyrocket. Why are they going to war? Look, I won't go so far as to say that they want war to reduce population, but they certainly love to build weapons and blow people up. At the very least, they probably can acknowledge, I mean, anyone with any sort of sense of logic can acknowledge that those who want a smaller population would probably be like, "Hey, eh, you know, a bunch of people died, right? It's weird that that would be considered a conspiracy theory, right? You've got people who say there's too many people on the planet. Do you think they're not cognizant of the fact that war results in less people? Of course they know that. I'm not saying it's their motivating factor. I'm saying they're probably taking it like, oh, you know, we wanted to reduce population by 15% by the year 2025. Well, we can scratch off the Ukrainians and the Russians. They know it. And again, I'm not saying they're doing it intentionally. I'm saying they're probably factoring into their numbers. They know exactly what's happening. Makes me question why they do all of these things. Perhaps it is just a simple conspiracy theory. But if someone tells you their motivation and then takes actions which contributes to their you know, their desires, I have to at the very least say it's, it is strange that the things they do play into what they want. Is it intentional? I'm not saying that. Are they planning for it? I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying how convenient for those that want a lower population, that food is in short supply, that fuel is in short supply, that prices are skyrocketing, and there's a war going on. Right? It all happens in the end of Trump's first term after a booming economy. I can't speak for the moral or scientific issues. I'm not going to on on climate change. I'm just going to say the people who certainly don't like people and think there's too many tend to be enacting policies that hurt people and prevent them from having families or from even surviving. What what are we going to see? The people who are going to starve first are the third world countries, are the impoverished or developing nations. Sri Lanka, for a variety of reasons, is going nuts right now. Well, there you go. You get what you vote for. If you believe the planet is dying because of human activity and you're a Democrat, you should be very happy with this. So we will see. But you know what? Record voter turnout for the GOP. I don't think it's going to play right. Regardless of whether it's intentional or not, what the Democrats have done, what the establishment has done, has been disastrous. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Ricky Gervais is currently under fire from the woke mob for making jokes about trans people in his latest comedy special on Netflix. Netflix recently laid off their diversity staff and issued a warning to their staff that if you don't like the content they make, you can leave. I'd like to go back in time, my friends. I'd like to go back in time to one of the first, if not the first, I could be wrong, original series Netflix ever produced, House of Cards. I remember when House of Cards came out and everyone loved it. And then later they learned bad things about Kevin Spacey and then Nobody really wanted to watch it without him. Here was the idea. Netflix had all of these different shows from all of these different production companies and networks. They had all these different movies. And they could see what people liked, what had the highest engagement, what tended to play the best with a general audience. And so they said, well, people like political thrillers and people really like Kevin Spacey. So let's make a political thriller show with Kevin Spacey. And boom, House of Cards was an instant hit. For some reason, Netflix started to drift into wokeness, seemingly in defiance of their own metrics. Perhaps they were swallowing the refuse straight from Twitter, believing the woke garbage. Well, now, they decided to put out this, this Netflix special with Ricky Gervais, and he has several jokes about the trans community and woke mobs. They're actually interesting points to be made. But of course, now, They're threatening to cancel Ricky Gervais, who I'm sure doesn't care. Why did Netflix come out recently and say, if you don't like the content we make, you can leave? Perhaps it's because they knew they were going to release a Ricky Gervais comedy special. Perhaps over at Netflix, they're looking at their analytics, and they're like, people like comedy. People like Ricky Gervais. Let's roll with it. And then Ricky says, here's the joke I'm going to do. And they go, "Ooh, oh, geez, what do we do? And they said, guys, People really like Ricky Gervais, but he's making jokes that are going to trigger the woke. We need to preempt this. Now they're laying off woke and diversity hires, like the the people who run the diversity stuff at Netflix are getting fired. Ricky Gervais is telling the jokes he wants to tell. So this is a very grand get woke, go broke, and perhaps we'll see the opposite, which would be like, I don't know, um, anti-woke, not broke or whatever. Get unwoke, get wealthy. I suppose. You no, know, it, it probably is better to say get unwoke, be not broke, because there's no guarantee you're going to become rich off of making this content. But at the very least, people won't abandon your platform, right? Well, certainly, many of the woke people are like, I'm canceling my subscription to Netflix. But you know what? Woke people make up a tiny fraction of this country. Stop pandering to people who don't buy your stuff. So we do have this story from uh, uh, Variety about Ricky Gervais. But let me just show you this stuff real quick. Netflix's woke purge. Troubled streaming giant's latest layoffs targeted staff who are among its most vocal social justice warriors. Ah, victory. It sounds so sweet. The cultists are losing. They are being gutted from Netflix. Good for you, Netflix. Maybe once you get rid of cuties, I'll agree to come on your platform. Or maybe Big Mouth. But, you know, I'm not just going to sit back and be like, oh, look, they made jokes about trans people. Look, I don't I don't care about directly insulting people. Right? I'm, I'm not in favor of that. I don't like it. You want to criticize an idea. I'm, I'm fine with it. You want to insult someone directly. I'm not fine with it. You want to criticize someone directly. I'm fine with it. But insulting them. Here's a story from Variety. Ricky Gervais's Netflix comedy special Super Nature has only been released on the streamer for a few hours, but it has already drawn criticism for a string of graphic and hurtful transphobic jokes. Four minutes into the special, Gervais dives into material about the trans community seemingly calculated to draw controversy. Ah, bravo, good sir, Ricky Gervais. You have certainly courted Tim Pool into doing a segment on you and the things you have to say. Congratulations on the free press. Ricky says, Oh, women, Not all women, I mean the old-fashioned ones. The old-fashioned women, the ones with wombs, those effing dinosaurs. I love the new women, they're great, aren't they? The new ones we've been seeing lately, the ones with beards and cocks, they're as good as gold. I love them. And now the old-fashioned ones say, oh, they want to use our toilets. Why shouldn't they use your toilets? For ladies. They are ladies. Look at their pronouns. How about, what about this person isn't a lady? Well, his... Let's 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 make it a little bit more family friendly. So we'll say well his privates. Her privates, you effing bigot. Okay, you know what? We're just gonna go for it. YouTube's gonna get mad at me. Well, his penis. Her penis, you effing bigot. What if he man, this is this is brutal. Forces me. What if she forces you, you effing turf? <laughs> man, Ricky Gervais went off. Not for children. They say turf. Or trans exclusionary radical feminists, feminist has been associated with people who reject the notion that trans women are women. A few minutes later, when discussing Kevin Hart removing himself from hosting the Oscars in 2018 for past homophobic tweets, Gervais continued joking about the trans community. You can't predict what will be offensive in the future, Gervais said. You don't know who the dominant mob will be. Like, the worst thing you can say today, get you canceled on Twitter, death threats, the worst thing you can say today is women don't have penises, right? Now, no one saw that coming. You won't find a 10-year-old tweet saying women don't have penises. You know why? We didn't think we effing had to. Bravo, good sir. Toward the end of the special, Gervais offers his reasoning for trans jokes saying, Full disclosure, in real life, of course, I support trans rights. I support all human rights. And trans rights are human rights. Live your best life. Use your preferred pronouns. Be the gender that you feel you are. But meet me halfway, ladies. Lose the cock. That's all I'm saying. Wow. Let me just say this. Ricky, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's fine if you want to point out logical inconsistencies. It's fine if you want to make jokes. I'm all for it. I agree with pointing out logical inconsistencies. But you can't do that and then come out and say, but this group is completely fine. Now, I, I guess I actually agree with Ricky to a certain degree. But I think you need to clarify this because I don't know what his final point is saying. Here's what I think. I think that uh, if you're a trans person, You should be able to live your life and you should you should be able to go get a job. You should be able to, uh, you know, go to a restaurant. People shouldn't throw you out for these things. But there is a challenge in where we draw the line. Businesses like to put up signs saying we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. There becomes an increasing challenge when you say you must provide public accommodation to everybody. Now, I've often been on the side of the, the, the baker in Colorado. He said to this, this gay couple that was getting married, you can have any cake you want, but I'm not writing your message. And that was the lawsuit. Okay. My attitude is more like, it's not your message. I understand if you don't want to perform a service, therein lies the challenge. You're, he's not saying he won't allow a certain race, identity, or whatever into his, rest, into his bakery. He's saying, you can't make me take an action. And that's where things get really interesting. Now, this is, a, this is a difficult moral issue because I feel like so long as we are in the system where people pay taxes to public accommodation and public spaces, you're occupying a public space and then denying someone for personal reasons, denying them a, a public accommodation. The challenge I have here is public space is finite. And if we give you that space that we protect with our police, with our fire departments, with our medical services with our electrical services, with road repair and all of that stuff. Everyone's paying into that. You get the space and then you say, I simply don't want you to, to, you know, come into like to, to get my services. There's a challenge there. There's a challenge there. This is one of the most difficult philosophical questions. The guy says, I'll write stuff for you. I won't write that. That's interesting. He wasn't denying them service. He was refusing to write a specific thing. Now, I think he could probably write it and say, it's their message, not mine. But that's a real challenge when you go to someone and say, this is something you have to do if you want to run a business. Someone might just be like, no, nah, I won't do it. I won't run the business. It's tough. I don't have all the answers. So when I look at this, I'm like, yo, if I, if I, if I ran a bakery and someone came in, let me, let me put it this way. Here's, the, here's where the issue is. What if someone says that they are um, a child abuser? And they said they want you to write that message. And you're like, I won't do it. Do they get protected class? Now, of course, we might say like, no, 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 of course not. That, that's illegal. But you need to understand them. Who is getting the protection and why? Why did we decide that certain groups are worthy of protection and other groups are not? What about someone who, think, who wants to advocate for removing the feet of all children? I mean, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a ridiculous idea, right? What if they're like, I want you to write on the cake We should cut off the feet of children. You'd be like, I'm not writing that. That's insane. You have to. It is my beliefs. Now, you might say, that's absurd. No one's cutting off children's feet. Okay. What about their junk? What about someone who comes in and says, gender surgery for children? And someone says, I'm not writing that message. And they say, you have to. Because we've decided that one is actually protected. Okay. So if a group advocates for removing the feet of children... That's not protected, but the genitals is protected. You see, I I don't understand why we would grant one right to one group and not the other. If we're saying you have to provide all services, then where where do you draw the line? And therein lies the challenge. Don't come to me for those answers because I ain't got them. I don't. I can understand like um, national origin, race, religion, and things like that. But therein lies the same issue as, as the slippery slope. And, uh, you know, Seamus Coughlin made a funny point on Tim Castarelli. He said, you know, that the left has proven it's not a slippery slope. It's a cliff and we've gone straight off the edge. And it's like, it's a good point. You go in and say you need to write religious messaging. Someone could be Jewish and you'd be like, I want you to write Jesus is my Lord and Savior on the cake. And they might be like, no, I won't do that. I don't believe that. And I refuse to write that. Someone else would need to write it. Would you force them to do it? I guess you have to. And therein lies the, the bigger issue that we can look at religion and the average person on the left will be like, oh, just write the message, blah, blah, blah. OK, if you can if, if, uh, go to go to a bakery in Washington, D.C., run by liberals and tell them you want an American Nazi party cake and see what they say. Oh, but politics is a protected class in Washington, D.C. I have no idea how that would play out. But we see these people continually going to that bakery. And they're they're filing, uh, you know, lawsuit after lawsuit. There's like a, someone went to him and said they wanted a gender uh, transition cake. And he said no. So then he got sued again. OK, find a liberal in D.C. and make them write something negative about Muslims. Make them write something positive about violent dictators and authoritarian right wingers. Heck, have them write. We love Donald Trump. We will always love him. He is our God emperor and see what they say. And if they're in violation of that, ask them, do you agree with forcing businesses under these civil rights provisions to have to write these messages? I'd be willing to bet a lot of them are going to be like, I don't like this. Don't like it. I'm not going to pretend to have the answers, my friends. But here's my point. Ricky Gervais at the end says, I support trans rights. Yeah. What does that really mean? What does it mean? I don't I don't know how we actually deal with this anymore because of the rapid expansion of leftist protections, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA2P+, or whatever, IIASP. There's so many. They've, they've included, uh, you know, pansexual and sapiosexual and intersex and asex and two-spirit and plus. So at what point do we be like, you can be a giraffe, and you can't be denied service like at what point does a deer like walk in and then they're just like i have no idea what the deer wants but i can't kick it out okay round 2 name something that's not boring a laundry ooh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino <laughs> That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Number 27. Operated by law. 18+ terms and apply. See website for details. There's actually a Supreme Court case in a New York Supreme Court case about personhood for elephants. I am not saying this as a moral statement to deny anyone rights. I'm asking you, if we continually expand At what point do we start and stop someone's access to these rights and these provisions? If the trans community will get the same rights as anyone else, meaning they can go into a baker and say, you must write a message, then what about in D.C., someone who is a Nazi? I don't like Nazis. Should they, should bakeries be forced to write that stuff? Man, I don't know. And if I'm going to say no to that, what about any other belief system someone doesn't like? Is the idea simply that most Americans don't like Nazis, so it just would not be upheld? But D.C. DC says politics is a protected class, so you could do it. I have no idea, man. Maybe we should film that video and see what these liberal bakeries in D.C. have to say when we are like, this is a protected class. You have to write these messages. And then what if you have them write messages that conflict with other protected classes? Like, what if you have them write Something like from the Quran or or, um, the, what is it, the Hadith, is it called? Opposing gay marriage. What if you tell them you want Leviticus, uh, the the Leviticus passage from the Bible about men shall not, not lie with men. Now, who are you infringing upon? You must write it because it's a religion, it's protected. And then they can say, yeah, but it infringes, you know, upon gay rights or whatever. Yeah, but I'm not. So you're not infringing upon me. Figure it out. I got no idea. Anyway. Everyone's freaking out about Ricky Gervais. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Netflix laid off 150 employees on Tuesday, many of whom were working on creating and promoting projects focused on marginalized communities. Firm additionally fired nearly 70 employees working for its social media and publishing teams. The struggling streaming giant claimed layoffs were carried out amid a slowdown in revenue and decline in subscribers. It's interesting. The first to go is wokeness. Why? My friends. My friends meritocracy matters. Netflix wants something that works. They want a machine that makes them money. Wokeness, they assumed, probably would have. They were wrong. It would not have. Had they done any real research into what regular people care about and think, they would have not done this in the first place and not been hurt so badly. But so many of these people are swallowing the refuse of the cult. They can't see the fact the cult is tiny. You're in a cult, dude. Wake up. My favorite is when the establishment people are like, Trump supporters are in a cult. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, honestly, I don't care. Cause I ain't got anything to do with those people. And they don't run Netflix. I mean, wouldn't it be insane if Netflix was actually just pumping out weird QAnon stuff all the time, constantly putting out documentaries where they're like, Trump is coming to, you know, gonna be a reinstated or some other nonsense? It'd be like, this is weird. We just wanna watch The Simpsons, dude. We just want to watch shows about werewolves and vampires or whatever. Kevin Spacey as a, as a young, attractive vampire, uh, political thriller, I guess. I don't know. People would, you know, I, actually, I'm joking. But if you gave me the option to watch teenage Kevin Spacey as a vampire, but he's actually an old man, but they like CGI him to be younger, and it's a political vampire thriller I actually would be very interested to see that show, and I would turn it on, and I wouldn't turn on any of the woke trash that they've tried to make in the past few years. And also, shout out to Big Mouth, a disgusting show about children engaged in disgusting adult activities, which for some reason Netflix is okay with. But hey, if Netflix is going to stop censoring things, that means garbage like Cuties and Big Mouth will probably be on the platform. I don't know what to say about that. I'm not going to be signing up for Netflix anytime soon. And it's not because of Ricky Gervais. It's because they have big mouth and cuties. I find that to be kind of gross. But let's throw it to our good friend Bill Maher. This is something that happened uh, last week, last Friday. Bill Maher, why are we giving puberty blockers to children? He says, so Bill Maher's definitely emceeing President DeSantis's first White House uh, uh, correspondence dinner, uh, WHCD, asked Patrick Ruffini after watching the clip from last night's real time. Bill Maher said, if this spike in trans children is all biological, why is it regional? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. Well, the left would probably just tell you that Ohio is shaming them, perhaps. But we are seeing it across the board. Bill Maher is actually a little bit wrong in that regard. In West Virginia, we got tons of trans kids. I think it has a lot to do with TikTok. I think TikTok is gutting the, the uh, disemboweling this country. But anyway, I'm not here to get into the trans issue. The real point here is Bill Maher and his politics. Netflix and their politics. And now you can see what's happening. Netflix purges the woke. They've finally woken up to the fact that regular people do not like this. Bill Maher, who I think was trying to pander to both sides, he didn't want to go too far. He didn't know where the culture war was going to go. He's like, you ever see uh, uh, Dogma? When Azrael was like, I was amused. I had no place on the battleground. And then Sama Hike's character is like, so was Elvis. But that didn't stop him from answering the call during a time of war. Anyway, my point is, that's Bill Maher. Bill Maher is like, oh, there's a culture war breaking out. The left has gone insane, but they butter my bread. I'm going to mostly pander to them and not go down this route. And then eventually started to realize it's hurting my ratings. So Bill... New rule, don't go woke for the sake of money. And perhaps you should learn to Google things, Bill. Bill Maher probably just consumes his media from outdated news sources like CNN, assuming it's true and not realizing they have been vomiting waste in down his throat. But I think in reality, there's no way Bill Maher gets this much wrong unless he's like retired. It's like at work retirement, you know? Bill Maher stops doing his due diligence, stops doing research, stops reading the news, and then just tells someone, just just do it for me and we'll keep the show going. It's really, really gross when this happens. And you know what? Let me put it this way. I see people like Bill Maher, and I think Bill Maher's retired. He's old. He's not consuming news anymore. He's getting his facts wrong. And he's probably just going like, I'm tired of this. I've been doing the same thing for 30 years. At a certain point, you want to take a break. But the money's too good. Why stop? So you hire some young person, say, tell me what to say, and I'll read the monologue and you'll have my voice. No, Bill Maher, retire. Let a young person take over where you're at and do the jokes instead. Maybe they'll pay more attention. This is what's happening with politics. They don't want to actually do any of the work, but they don't want to leave because they're getting money and power. They never want to give it up, man. One thing I think about all the time with Timcast is how do we grow this to a point where there's other products, other shows, and uh, I'm gone? Now, I will say one of the issues is that the younger generation is, man, they're, they're being beaten over, they're being flogged over the head by the culture war. And it's hard to know where they'll end up. There's more conservative Gen Z than there are liberal because conservatives were having more kids. That's it. Now it's even more true today, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens in 20 years when conservatives are having seven kids and liberals are sterilizing their kids or aborting them. I think we're going to see conservatism be on the rise. That'll be fascinating. Unless they get to your kids. Unless they go into the schools and indoctrinate your kids, which this is what they've been doing. The cult doesn't have children. They have yours. And if you aren't paying attention to what your kids are learning, you may have already lost them. My recommendation, if you live in one of these areas and you see this weird cult stuff affecting your children, you got to look to one of these stories, right? The stories talk about how when they went to the schools and complained, their kids were taken from them. When they said, I got to move for work. Thank you so much for your help. And then moved to a conservative community. Their kids went back to normal and their depression lifted. Give your kids a community. Give them a real community. This is why I think religion is so important. I'm not religious. I am not, uh, I don't follow any theistic religion or anything like that. But I see the value in all of these, um, all of these, uh, particularly Abrahamic religions. Now, personally, I always have to say this, I do believe in God. I just don't believe in human writings on these issues. But, uh, so for some reason, a lot of people say I'm atheist, which I absolutely am not. But when it comes to Christianity, Judaism, um, is, uh, Islam, or any other organized religion where people gather, you have community. This is why I think Judaism is 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 uh, so great. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how, po- po- properly how to explain it, but when they do Shabbat, when they go from Friday night, uh, Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown, where they, they, they eat together, they talk together, and they focus on their community, that is... That's a powerful thing that strengthens their bonds, gives them purpose and drive, and leads them to success. Christians need to honor the Sabbath in the same way because they don't always, considering how large the religion is. A lot do. But you, you meet together with your community. You share ideas and bonds around common goals or ideas. I don't agree with all of the scripture stuff. What I agree with is... Having a place where you can meet and gather and share your thoughts with those who care about you and you care about, that's powerful. Your kids need that too. In the meantime, perhaps the change is coming. Perhaps the older generation is realizing get well go broke is a a truism. Perhaps these people will start to wake up to how much they've sacrificed and lost by pandering to the refuse of Twitter. Me? Thank you, Bill Maher. Because when you retreated from the space, I was able to occupy it. Now, I can do segments speaking my mind because I've never deviated from what I've thought on equality uh, versus equity or anything like that. So, I think the dawn is approaching. Things are getting better. People are waking up, be it Netflix or Bill Maher. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.